Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Communities Unite, where it's, it's a really cool series where guests I've been on before get to come on again. <laughs> so it's it's really cool. So today I'm joined with Ryan and Sarah, and we're going to be talking about um, IBD, um, Crohn's, Ophrocytes, and autism as well. Um, so it's going to be really, really cool, um, and, and where we're just going to introduce ourselves. So I... Um, Ryan, if you mind introducing yourself first, and then Sarah, you can afterwards. Yeah, no problem. Um, firstly, thanks for having me back on. I uh, really appreciate it. I, know it's, I think it's been a while since we sort of last time. Been good to be back on. So my name's Ryan. I'm 28 years old. I live in Lisbon in Northern Ireland, and I was diagnosed with autism when I was 13. Also diagnosed with ADHD. That was when I was seven or eight. Um, sort of since I turned about, since I turned 18, really, I've sort of been working as a sort of autistic advocate, mainly in the areas of sort of employment for young people and sort of uh, life skills for young autistic people in order to prepare them for sort of entering into the adult world and the world of work and sort of everything that that entails. Because I find when I was sort of thrown head first into it, there was a lot of things I didn't know and was, I seemed to just be expected to know. Um, so it's kind of the thing is that I would like to use my experience to be able to help people who are gonna gonna go through the same journey I am, so that they don't have to be fall into the pitfalls that I did. Yeah, it's it's really cool, Ryan, because um, I think like like you say, it's, been, it's probably about a year since we last did our episode, so it's it probably about the same amount of time I think. So it's it's really cool, and like you, you can continue doing your work with like autism, ADHD, so that's awesome. Um, Sarah, uh, it's great to have you back again. Hello, thank you very much for having me back. And again, it's great seeing you again and getting caught up. Really appreciate it too. And lovely seeing Ryan as well. Myself and Ryan went to university together. So it's lovely getting catching up with all like the three of us together. Um, yeah, so my name's Sarah. I've I've just turned 29 there. And I think I actually think very scarily it was maybe closer to maybe two years ago, Mason, we done the first one. Yeah. Which I'm going is insane now I'm thinking about it because it doesn't yeah. feel like that long ago. Um yeah, I'm from Belfast in Northern Ireland and I got again, now I'm thinking of all the dates, scary how time flies. I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease back in December twenty seventeen. So nearly five years diagnosed now and definitely had symptoms for about four or five years before which I find a bit scary to say because it makes me go oh flip up I actually had Crohn's for nearly 10 years but it does not feel like that at all mm-hmm. um but I'm very thankfully in remission now I have one lingering operation to get but they're waiting on specialist equipment but that's for fistulas and stuff but I've been really lucky Vitalizumab has got me into remission and I'm currently doing well which is great yeah like 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 Fishers can be a pain. I, I can't uh, know. we 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 know they're awful, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They're not talked about enough. I don't think really because it's quite a shy topic, isn't it? Like to talk about uh, completely. And I think it's because a lot of the time where they tend to affect because of how like anatomy is. I know it's grim for some people, but a lot of the time, as they call it, perianal. I think, which is a bit in between the front and back. Um, because if that's the flat bit, that's where all the inflammation can form between everything that's what the doctors had said so that's why they're and then because of that there they cause issues because of where they are but annoying that they're so small but cause major major <laughs> havoc on people's bodies and they're so painful too 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I remember that you say to 2017 because our diagnosis, like with Crohn's, wasn't that far off each other. I think you're a month later than me. Um, if you say not yeah. November. Yeah. I remember that. I remember you saying we were diagnosed the same year, but you were the few months before, Jess. Yeah, yeah. And, like, when was your... Because I, I, I remember when we last did it, Sarah, we were talking about your book, and it was, like, I think nearly getting released. It was about that kind of time we did it. It was. It's scary. I can't believe how long or, like, how, like it's been two years since I've done it. So, yeah, that's right. I've done the e-book to see how it was kind of go this time yeah about two years it was november time 2020 yeah mm. i'd finished it and done the wee ebook and then in the summer i had it made into so i think by around maybe august 2021 it was then made into paperback so now i have it in paperback as well and um yeah done that there wee book just because at the time I remember like just really struggling any information I was trying to find couldn't like really get it on the internet like things I was trying to find and then I just kind of like started writing and then ended up writing about my journey but like was it's incredibly honest and open to the point I think it scares a few people but um it's just basically explaining like what everything was like living with it and giving people like that knowledge if they don't have Crohn's to kind of maybe know what it's like or for people that do have it something to relate to and maybe like get a bit of comfort out of and yeah because it was all done for charity too then I donate the profits to Crohn's and Colitis UK as well yeah it's, it's, it's really cool like it's crazy how long ago it was um I, I, I am with you Ryan as well because it it doesn't really seem that long like no. we, we all did our we all talked to each other well we don't all talk to each other like this we're, we're all separate but it's it's good that we're all here together because like Sarah, you recommended Ryan to come on in the first place. So, <laughs> um, so it was it's great to have Ryan on, and it was really interesting when we had our chat, Ryan, because like you you mentioned about your sister having ulcerative colitis. So it was. I think at the time, my sister was just in the process of being diagnosed. Which I'll be honest, the doctors I felt like were just guessing, and then I think Sarah's book was sort of coming out around the same time. And I will be honest, I knew nothing about Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. Indeed, the first thing my my sister said to me, well, the doctor's told me about this, and I went, okay, what's that? You know, I, I had no idea. And then it, it just so happened, then the, the cogs started turning around, thinking, I seen a book by someone. And then it, it, it just so happened, it came on my Instagram feed the next day, and I was like, oh, that's what it is. And then I think I immediately, I think I ordered it pretty much straight away. And it was just me, obviously, and I handed it to my sister, and I think she found it quite helpful. What I did laugh at is she reading it, obviously, because I went to uni with Sarah for two years, I could hear her voice. And that's what it shows me, says. Sorry, that's so funny. You're just swearing. It's like, I could, I think it was at the one in the airport. I could just, I could just see you, like, stand. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Oh, this is. So that to me, I thought, okay, well, I can trust the information here because I can tell it's been written with some direct first-person experience. And like, like you said, the first things I done was I googled it, you know, and it, it obviously directed the NHS website. But it's just pretty much explaining the symptoms and sort of saying what to do if, if you think you have it or um how to get a diagnosis. Nothing about how does it affect people, how does it, you know, how do you manage it day to day. I think basically the NHS on this and surgery is an option for some 
others, uh, and they need uh, if the um, others is quite severe, they need to get stoma bag, I believe, is that the right thing? Yeah. So it's like it, it's things like that. I'm sitting learning, you know, and I and it's like it's very, it's it's all very clinical. It's all very medical, you know, and it's like you almost need a translation. And that okay, but what does this mean on a day to day basis? Um, uh, it's actually what Sarah's book done. It gave you a real insight into what it's like. And like from my sister, obviously we're having a toddler. As you can imagine, her life is hectic enough. I did have to laugh because I remember this is to tell me when she gets diagnosed. The doctor said to her, "So what can tend to cause this is stress. Um, do you have any stressful things in your life?" And she goes, "Of a one year old son." And the doctor goes, "Yeah, that would probably be quite stressful." Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> life but like sort just something then just triggers it absolutely one of them but again it's something that was never discussed yeah i definitely think for myself um i think stress brought triggered mine my symptoms started in second just at the start of second year of uni but um i had like moved out of home for the first time had like my granny was really unwell. She was dying. I like failed a module and was waiting for the reset results. Like so much stress going on, and I think then my symptoms started, and I think it was all all that combined. No, I do remember that being actually quite a difficult part for you because you you weren't there as often. I remember it was like an unspoken thing, and that something's going on, but it's like a you know we don't want to sound like we're prying into someone's life. You know, it's like you know it's a case of where's the line if you will. And I know I know that there's at times like, I haven't spoken to some of the other ones I went to uni with, I knew with a few of them, they're always a bit, not off with me, but they're always a bit apprehensive sometimes with me in terms of, like, for example, you remember on the outside, I was always the one that wanted to go home early. And they're always like, is he okay? Is he enjoying himself? I'm like, yeah, I am, but I've just, I've hit my limit for the day. I would like to go home, please. Oh, absolutely, Flip. We should have also had the same sense to do the same. <laughs> I distinctly remember the snowball fight outside Ollie's at 1am. Oh, I don't remember. Oh, I... That was the one that um, one of us nearly got lifted for throwing a snowball at a police officer after he told us not to do it. I'll give you... It's a very... <laughs> there, I can't... Or, or I was too drunk, I can't remember this. That's awful. <laughs> very tall person from Whitehead. They got trapped in a... As soon as you said very tall person, I knew exactly who you were talking about. Must message him actually and be like, "Heard you're up to no good." <laughs> Doesn't remember it. No, I would say not. That's funny. I'm going. I have no memory of this either. That's hilarious. Oh, uh, I suppose it's a good thing you don't actually know what's going on behind the curtain. You know. Oh, especially when people like like ourselves, we look like totally normal. If you know what I mean, like you would never look and go, "There's something up there." <laughs> Hmm. And if someone's using disability in like a wheelchair or a walking stick or something, people will automatically offer you help because they see that you're maybe struggling. But if you don't have the little visual sat, sorry, there's fireworks going off in the house behind me. I don't know if you can hear it on the camera. <laughs> no, 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 can hear it. <laughs> not a visual cue, or if there's not an immediate uh, sign that something's wrong. I don't really like that term, but. If, if there's not an immediate visible sign, people don't tend to be very considerate. I've found sometimes, I've found sometimes once, pe once people know the full picture, they tend to be very supportive. But sometimes I find people don't always give you the, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You know, there's not a problem with. 
is that sometimes, as usual, need to know if, if you need to go, you need to go. Absolutely. Is it Starbucks, for example? I think there's a, there's a frequent uh, culprit for this one. She says, can I come in? Can I use your loo? No customers only. She's like, look, I will buy something, you know, but can I use your loo, please? And I'd be like, no. You know, even she has, is it a card or something? I can't remember what it is, a card or yeah. something? Yeah, the needs to you, yeah. And the mm. fact she has that and they're still saying no, that's a lot wrong. But even that's bad. The acceptance said, no, that's not for us. Or our toilets are staff only, you know. But but equally as well, but she also in her position in her work, she knows if someone comes in and sort of asks, "I really need these," she does, she'll just let them use it, no questions asked, because she knows it's not a very dignified position to be in the literally have to beg someone to use the toilet. Absolutely, you know? nobody in their right mind would ever do that. Her mind if she has a, if she has Ethan with her, you know, she's a small child as well, you know, she's obviously stressed out. You know what I mean? It's like, just, you know, just a wee bit of sympathy. You know, it's it's not like you're asking a huge thing. It is a customer toilet, especially. You know. Exactly. <laughs> Literally with a disability card as well. Like, this person is not joking around. Like, um, funny you say that as well, actually, Ryan. There's a girl I know, and she actually has a stoma. She has Crohn's and a stoma. And um, she said, like, similar things have happened. I think it was McDonald's, she said. Um, she needed to use the bathroom to like empty her bag or whatever and the security guard was like no and then she basically had to get out her card and like explain like I have a stoma I have to do this and apparently he eventually let her in but he turned around to her boyfriend and was like she doesn't need to make up something wrong with her to like use the bath like really something really horrible like that and I remember just thinking wow where do people get all this because the thing is is then it, it makes a scene and people are like, why do you want to make a scene? I'm like, I'm not making a scene. I'm desperate. Literally. Yeah. I'm doing this because I need to. Like, exactly. for example, a similar one when going through airports is I I love flying. I the act of being on the plane. The process of getting onto the plane, however, I hate. Oh, it's so, stressful. <laughs> so it was the first time I'd flown in three years. It would have been there when I was going to Cyprus. Um, and we're at Dublin Airport and I... It wasn't too bad. I've been through Dublin Airport a few times. Now, my slung floor lanyard is normally on my house keys, but as I had moved house, I never put my lanyard on my new keys. So I got there and then realized I don't have my lanyard, but we managed to get the assistance. But I seen at least a dozen people in the queue as I walked past staring at me, and I could hear at least two people say, I see you getting that. And it, honestly, especially as I haven't had my ADHD medication at that point because of the time difference and all. And I had to stop myself from turning around and flipping, throwing the letter I had in my hand to say that I was entitled to this at them. Which I'm just thinking, you know, I'm, it's not like I'm getting on the plane ahead of you. It's a case of I'm go still going through the exact same security procedures, you know. <laughs> and, and it's a case of if I'm made to stand in that big queue, I'll have a complete meltdown. Mm. Um, I, but it's sometimes in joke, it's, it's like a Disney fast pass, you know. But it, <laughs> That is, is required because it is an assistance thing you know and like I said it's a case of there's been a time especially when my parents lived in Asia there's been some of these miscommunications with the airport so I've got off the plane and there's been a wheelchair waiting for me because they've just no way. So the first time it happened in Singapore I got so embarrassed I walked straight past as they were going Mr. Hendry Mr. Hendry and I was like no that's not me I'm fine <laughs> you're like 
my go out. It was not their fault. They were just probably told, right, this flight's coming in. X amount of people, these passengers, X, Y, and Z need special assistance. You know, no, man, that's why I think it's all you guys people the benefit of the doubt. But it's sometimes that thing when maybe again it's not understood. Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, I um, the wee sun, uh, sunflower lanyard. I couldn't say that there. Um, my mom had told me about a year ago, I think, to grab one. So before going, I have two different, like two madly different experiences with it. Um, whenever I used it going through Belfast International, going to Paris. The security guard seen me with it, like, and stopped me and got me into like the fast track lane, which was brilliant. And then I've had times come where I've not, I've like waited, but they've just been like, "No, we see this next time. Come on up to the top." But recently, there in September, I went anxious, so I was like, "I'll put the parcel on just in case." And um, the security guard seen it, but like didn't do any. Like I watched him look at it. And he didn't do anything and just had me like still like line up with the rest. And I remember thinking he should be like fast tracking me. But like he just, I think he looked at me, thought I was probably making it up and just didn't do anything. There's been a, I think a, a problem since the pandemic started. I know, I remember, and this boils my blood, was that when shops and all were reopened and obviously you had to go in wearing a face mask. But then people twigged on that exemption. If you have some flour lanyard, you could be exempt. And then I seen people selling them. Yeah. I see what's coming. And then I remember I used mine about three weeks later going into Tesco's to do the shop. Now, I some, most of the time I could wear a mask, but sometimes there was days I just couldn't. Yeah. It's hard to explain. It felt really constricted. Um, and the, the, the feeling of the fabric would be on my face would like would drive me insane. Um, so I'm rowing in the Tesco's and I was I basically had my headphones on, so it wasn't I was fairly oblivious to what was around me. And then what happened is I was literally lifting something out of the shelf and I turned around and there was a person this close to me um, staring and going, what are you wearing? And then I remember, it was clear they were trying to get my attention. So I pulled one ear off the other yeah, what are you wearing that for? And I remember thinking, at this point, this was the whole social distance, really six foot apart. This person was less than a foot from my face. And bear in mind, at this point, I lived with a sister who I knew was immunocompromised and also a three-month-old baby. You know, so it was like, you know, fuck the hell up. And I was like, I'm autistic. And they went, really? You don't look at the man. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. That's, not, that's really bad. Oh my God. You don't look at to me about a neurological, like, oh my God. The thing was, because I, I had my back to the shelf, I couldn't go anywhere. But the whole lanyard was it's a discreet way to let people know that you might need a bit of help, not not this thing where people can come up and demand an explanation as to why you have one absolutely uh that's oh i'm so sorry that happened to you ryan that's horrendous like what is you have to question it what on earth was wrong with that person like that is not normal behavior <laughs> and if they've done that to me they've done that to someone in fairness one of the tesco members of staff seen it and almost rammed down the aisle and sort of pulled me to the side and was asking you okay you know well, i'm sorry that person says is like I'll stand at the top of each aisle you're in in case that person tries to follow you or something. But I remember as it is in Tesco, you know, as you're walking up and down the aisles, you do sort of walk past. And I seen it every time the person is just giving me that death stare. And I'm just like, what is your problem? To the point that I actually finished my shopping or I didn't get half the things I was supposed to be there. I got halfway through Tesco. I'm sorry, but I can't do this. I will just get what I have and go. 
to my dad and my mercy. And I go home with that. I went, where's all the frozen? I'm, like, I'm sorry, no. That is awful. Like, what is actually wrong with people? Like, especially, I just can't get over it, especially as soon as you said as well, which you should never have had to do or justify yourself or explain, say, I have autism, and then that still be the reaction. Like, there was, that person is unhinged. What it was for me, that I've been told plenty of times online, I don't act autistic, I don't, I've never had it happen to my face until that day. And I just remember I was in complete shock. And I don't think it, it, it properly sunk in what had happened until I got home. And I was like, what the fuck? Sorry. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's, it's very bad. Like, especially having that in person. Like, it's very in, 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 intimidating that, 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 that like, to your face as well. Like, like with, um, that's one of the things that still annoys me now with like, you spoke about how close they were getting to you. Um, like with, with with social distancing, that it's um like anyway before COVID, people like don't like going close anyway, um yeah. regardless of COVID. But with COVID in place still, it's 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 like because the, the rules have been scrapped. Like for maybe people who are immunocompromised or people any anyway who don't like close contact, it's it's like people just go. It's like in you speak about Tesco for example. If you ask for someone for help, maybe a person, they, they they'll go very close to you, and like you you keep moving back, you keep moving back, and then if you say like what I would normally say, I'm I'm, I'm no compromise, can you keep back? They just get offended. They 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 it's just that they're offended about what you're saying that in the nicest possible way, and and they're not happy with it. I know. But it is, it's not even worth the risk though, Mason. See, recently, like, even though I'm, like I was saying, like, I'm very luckily, thankfully, in remission and stuff at the moment. But see, being immune compromised, see the past, every time I'm going out, I still pick up everything. Whenever I get these, like, viruses, even when I get, like, tonsillitis, like, I'm floored. Like, I have no immune system to fight it off. I then get recurrent tonsillitis because the antibiotics can't fight it off and it's back again less than a month later. I actually just need them removed. But um, it's it's awful. And then I remember going, I was so, every time I get it, I'm so unwell. Like, I've had to phone doctors, like, on top of, like, the antibiotics or, like, other things. And they've just been like to me, Sarah, it's not, because I'm, half the time I'm complaining because I'm like, it's not even, like, the sore throat or anything at this point. It's my body can't fight the infection. So I get really bad fevers, like literally like hot, like I'm in bed, freezing one minute, like sweating it out the next, like banging headaches, like no energy, like can't move. And whenever I describe all this, they're like, it's because your body literally can't fight infection. So you're, you get all the infection symptoms and your body's just struggling big time. So like, I don't people until like they say, until you get it, like you don't get it. Like it's so bad. Can I just ask, this is of the both of you, but do you, would, would you find that doctors either don't believe your symptoms or don't or believe you're exaggerating them, you know, like for effect or something, when you're saying that you're genuinely ill, they're like, oh, it's all in your mind or something? Because I know my I know my sister's had that experience with some, I think her current ones are very good, but she's had some truly horrible ones too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, there was definitely a point when I was, before I was diagnosed with Crohn's, um, I went to my local doctor, um, who's not my doctor anymore. Um, but at, at that time, um, like I, it, it was to do with uh, actually um, um, a, 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 a fistula. I didn't know what a fistula was at, at that point actually, and I felt some uncomfortable like at my, at my back passage. And yeah. um, I was saying to the doctor, um, 
can you check it? And the doctor was refusing to check it because they thought I would be uncomfortable and kind of um, going on and, and keep saying that kind of stuff. And it was almost like they didn't want to because they were uncomfortable. Uh, if, if that's the case, they could easily got someone else to do it. And then due to that, that, that caused more pain for me for a longer period of time. So I, I ended up seeing my consultant maybe a week or uh, longer. It would have been longer because it's harder to get appointments with your consultant than the doctor. Um and then that happened. And then she, I think she had, um, something happened to her that she no longer worked there or something like that. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't have her anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> that it wasn't a great. No, my experience is very similar to yours, Mason. See, prior to, be di to being diagnosed, it's my, I look back at old pictures and stuff now and, I did not look healthy, like, compared to, like, now, especially, if you know what I mean. Like, I dropped down to, like, I'm only short anyway. I'm just under 5'2", but because it, like, as Ryan knows, I'm only, I've only ever been very short. And it's usually the running joke in our friend group as well. But um, Sarah's height is always the joke. <laughs> but, um, they, uh, yeah, so because of that, I got told I dropped down to, like, 7 stone. Like, all the Crohn's symptoms were starting, like, bleeding a lot, going to the toilet all the time, the vomiting. I was telling them all this. I got laughed at and got told I was, like, just a young petite girl and probably eating something that was annoying me. Um, again, when the abscess and fistula had developed, I was sent by my work to A&E because I literally couldn't move, was like found in the toilet, collapsed in pain from like the abscess and stuff. And um, they, A&E still wouldn't take it seriously because I wasn't diagnosed yet. But thankfully, since I've been diagnosed, doctors have been brilliant, even like GPs and stuff. If I tell them like I like the tonsillitis or any kind of other illness, because thankfully they recognize like you know the level of immune suppressors we're on and stuff they're really good and they're always they're always very cautious of anything like they'll almost overdo it which I can't complain about which is really good but absolutely same as you Mason struggled big time when not diagnosed because I think they think oh this is someone in just making stuff up but funny enough whenever you actually have the medical evidence there all of a sudden you're taken seriously yeah and I it it, it, it... I I probably mentioned it to you, Sarah, when, uh, before, but I, like I, when I was diagnosed, it it wasn't easy. Like you had to push a lot, and like especially to have a cono lost a piece for my um diagnosis that that that, that had to, had to be pushed because it was, I could wait another month. Considering at this point, I was in a lot of pain, like that that, that burny feeling um in, in your stomach, and they said like I I I. I I remember the time when I needed to go to hospital in the middle of the night and um, I was there basically till the morning <laughs> um, and, and, and still in pain. So I might as well just stayed at home, <laughs> really. But I did get seen in the end. But um, but yeah, it's it, it, it's annoying when people, you're not getting believed straight away. Like, why would you be there? You wouldn't... Literally. You, you wouldn't be asking or I, I wouldn't be going to a doctor saying... Um, I need your help. Like, this is silly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, people don't go, like, normal people don't go to the doctors or A&E or whatever, like, to take time out of their day to waste it there. Like, it's mm -hmm. mad. I get it when they think that. <laughs> I think, my sister, I think, her symptoms weren't taken seriously to get up in hospital. And this was, this would have been ooh, December, January 2020. 
sorry, sorry, December 2020, January 2021. Um, because I, I always remember because Ethan was about one at the time. And what happened was that because of the COVID rules, it's fair enough. One one visitor was allowed in for patient, which is fair enough. Until I tried to bring in my nephew, and we were stopped and said it's only one visitor. I'm like, really? I'm like, it says yeah. It says look, it's it's my sister's son. She hasn't seen him in a couple of days. Can can I bring him up? And I'll leave the. I'll not go into the room. Like I'll set him at the door. You know when he goes, no, sorry, you can't come. I'm like, but I can come in. Yes, and he says, I'm excited. He says, can the would the baby be able to walk? I'm like, he's a year old. He's not gonna be able to walk to a fucking hospital. Um, thankfully, one of the nurses overrode him. And, okay, like fair enough. It, 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 it was her son. Okay, fair enough. You know, common sense prevailed there. But the, and the thing, and my sister was that stress was making it worse. And I was thinking, not being allowed to see her son, I'm pretty sure it was damn stressful. Absolutely. That's how I, my sister dropped on. I remember I hadn't seen her in a few weeks, and I remember um when I went I when I went to see her hospital, I I got quite upset with how how frail she looked, frankly. And that was my thing is that my sister has always been someone that's always like uh, what do you call her a lot of energy running about and everything and to see her like that was kind of a shock to the system and, and that was my thing and I'm thinking at this point she's still not a diagnosis they were like saying oh we need to check it's not this and not that and not this and not that even though I think my sister done a reason says I'm telling you it's this and they were like oh but we need to check it's not this and she's thinking but can you not check it's also can you not do this check at the same time um and eventually, like I said, she got the diagnosis, but even then it was still the case. And then after that, a lot of it's basically a lot of trial and error in terms of treatments. Um, I don't know what it is, the medication she takes. All I know is it has to be refrigerated. When it's picked up, it's in these big boxes, if that helps. Hmm. Um, and I think it's like some sort of, like a like a, a shake of some sort. Okay. Oh, I wonder what one it is. It's, there's so many um, that you almost, Ever someone says was... like, "What one is it?" Are you here? There's oh, apparently there's um, my consultant was saying there's more and more apparently new medications coming out, which is fantastic for us. Um, and apparently there's one. I think it's in clinical trials at the moment, and it's meant to be I think for Crohn's and colitis, and it's meant to be a game changer. So I'm really hoping you know there's I think now I could be putting words in his mouth, but the way he described it was almost like a big this should be if this one works this is the one that maybe everyone wants to be on kind of thing um but yeah like there is there's so many more ones coming out and then i've been on the same medication now for like years that i've got so used to my own one <laughs> like i'm never thinking of the others i was the same with my ADHD medication i was on the same one for 10 years and then it changed it and i remember i didn't tell changed it like one and i looked at the bottle when i got home got my name <laughs> And I Googled it, no, it was pretty much the same thing, bar a minor couple of changes. But I'm also going through a profound thing of my own and that my nephew has been referred for an ASD assessment. So it, it's this is a bit weird, is that I've been helping parents with this now for a decade. For a decade and now I'm seeing it within my own family. It's a bit weird, obviously, yes, it's me and all. But it's a case, obviously, but then again, this is a very good position because my mom obviously went through exactly the same thing with me. So Megan obviously has a lot of support there. Um, but it, it's it's surreal. Um, you see, Ethan's almost he turns three in December, but he's still not talking. 
Um, and so, but he communicates well. Like, and this is the thing is that I can see what he's communicating pretty well. So can everyone around him. But it, it's surreal to watch, and it's a bit odd in terms of it. It's like it's like I've went through the looking glass almost, yeah. and I'm seeing it. it. It's not. It was a. It's a lot easier to provide advice to people when it's like there's almost when it's strangers, frankly, when it's your own sister, and your own sister is not afraid of telling me, "Fuck off," <laughs> you know. My sister would be very stubborn, you know, but equally we get on very well. And that's the thing in terms of, like, he lives in Lauren, I live in Lisburn now, so we're about an hour away from each other, but we still see each other late, probably at least once a fortnight. Um, we're still quite a close family. So that's been odd to go through, but it's like, it's a case of, it's also an interesting perspective for me because I'm now seeing in real time just how bad some of the services are and through Mason has experienced it. Um, today alone, for example, I'm dealing with someone. Um, she has a private diagnosis of ADHD, but the Southern Health Trust will not get her medication unless they do their own diagnosis. But the Southern Health Trust currently do not have the capacity to diagnose ADHD. So they're telling her to get her tablets. She has to go through a service that doesn't exist. That is insane. <laughs> oh my goodness! Like, actually, I me when I read the email. I was like, what? Yeah. Oh my. Like, and I don't feel like, I know they're saying a lot with the regulations, but I'm just like, I just feel like it's cruel and not, okay. you can't do that to someone. Oh, every other health trust accepts private diagnosis for ADHD. And here's the joke. The doctors that are diagnosed privately are the same ones that are doing it for the NHS. My own ADHD doctor I see through the NHS, I have to contact his private medical office to get a hold of him. And he has told me point blank that it would be a lot easier if I went private and paid the same. Yeah, which is so shocking how it is. I, I, but I'll, I'll come to the chase, quite frankly, in the current climate. I don't have that money. No, absolutely not. They're actually getting into debt. They're that desperate to get a diagnosis. And that's my worry is that there's a privatization by stealth going on almost. And it's a case of people are being forced down the private route, not because they want to, but because they feel backed into a corner. Um, now, I don't know with Crohn's and UC, is there anything similar? Is there a case of like you were you never told you should be private to get this done? Yeah, I was taught to get things done quicker. It was always, I remember back in, yeah, 2018 when it was all kicking off and I was needing like the emergency operations and stuff. Um, They were waiting on like an emergency MRI and um, we'd said if we didn't get it done that week, um, my mum, through her work, she had Bupa so it could be covered. But um, to get it sped up, basically, we had to go private through her work cover that there week and thankfully it was covered. But I remember my consultant being really annoyed at the time, being like, this isn't fair. Like, people shouldn't be having to do that. And he, my consultant's lovely and, like, yeah. just all nice. And he was just so frustrated. He was like, people shouldn't have, be having to do this. And even last time I was speaking to him because of COVID, we hadn't actually spoke or seen each other in years. And he was actually just like, it's not, like, okay. It's so annoying. Like, people have been getting sicker or, like, waiting at the time um they thought I had developed a structure but we've realized I just don't develop like I don't um because where my Crohn's is I don't absorb bile salts so basically they're like poison to anyone's body so I was basically being poisoned by my own body and thought I was having extreme flare-ups that were so painful but um thankfully when I got back on the medication and stuff it snipped it in the bud but just took took a while to figure that one out <laughs> but um 
yeah, I remember at the time he was so frustrated because he was like, you've been sitting and like probably getting worse and like these, like it's just not okay with everything going on. But yeah, it's frustrating. I am a big defender of any good. My girlfriend is a midwife, so I would be strangled in the dead of night if I didn't. But like I've seen firsthand, when you get access to the services, they are first class. The problem is, is that they're not being funded well enough. Yeah. You know, hmm. I've ever actually experienced that works with you. It tends to be quite tends to be very good the problem is getting to them yeah it is it's like just there's like and i think the same as you ryan like um there's definitely an aspect of they almost want things to go private now isn't it just so they can collapse the nhs which nobody wants everyone loves and values it so much and like be lost without it and then they're definitely trying to do something aren't they like i remember i had a notion at one point of moving to america and i remember it was all Oh, actually, looking forward, it looked relatively positive until I started digging into my insurance premiums. As you can imagine, my insurance. Oh, yeah. My medication, if I was buying in America, my one bottle does me 10 days here. A bottle of my medication in America would be $750. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, almost $2,500 a month. And that's just my ADHD medication. I just honestly I just am like how on earth can anyone like people can't afford that like there's no we, we go how do people afford it like there's no way unless you're like a millionaire or incredibly wealthy people can't afford that the ration in it you know that's the sort of thing I remember looking okay I can maybe buy one bottle a month but then I, that basically means I would get a third of my medication you know yeah. like diabetes rationing insulin because they can't afford it it's a dystopia I just nice fear it's something that we don't a lot of us I think sometimes don't value the NHS and maybe don't realise what it does until one day it gets taken away no. yeah it's, it's, it's good we do have the NHS because like you say in America they have to pay, have to pay out of their own pocket for, for, for their medication which is it's, 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 it's crazy like like if you go over there for holidays I go okay I guess but maybe don't go for more than a few weeks or a week or two. Yeah. <laughs> we'd well, be the and we'd be off if we had to pay for our infusions and injections. We wouldn't. We'd be. We wouldn't be doing it. We couldn't right. afford it. <laughs> no holidays for us. <laughs> no, no. We'd just be sitting eating probably spaghetti or rice or pasta nonstop. Up yet? <laughs> yeah. There's some websites. Should... Up my head, but I can't say I remember the minute this call ends. Um, but what it does is basically if you input basically what you know your conditions are and what medication you take, it will actually tell you how much the NHS has paid for your treatment. You know, and I would sort of urge anyone watching this to do it because it might really open your eyes as to not only how good, how valuable the NHS is, how like how much money it can save you. And uh, I think it's something that we should be holding very dear: the fact that no one will ever be denied medical treatment because they are too poor. I just find America for me, what sums it up is that you have to pay if you phone an ambulance. And I find that frightening because I just think if someone is hesitating for an ambulance because they're worried about how they're going to pay for it, that's a that's a pretty dominant indictment on the society you live in. Absolutely. And a lot of people just don't and just end up dying, which is horrendously sad that that's the situation people have to get themselves into. Um, I think as well, my infusion, the Vitalizumab, I think I googled it's just over two grand every eight weeks when I get it and like imagine I had to actually fork out two grand every eight weeks like 
I'm I, I'm going, do I even get paid that much? Like, you know, you're going, does your pay cover that or what? Like, do I get medical, do I get medic, do I get medical treatment or do I pay to heat my home? You know, it's yeah. like, if you're even making that choice, that's terrifying. Absolutely. It's so bad. And then, Lee Mason, are you on Humera still at the moment? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still on Humera. I've, um, yeah, um, I'm not sure if I was on the last time we spoke. I might have been. That's what I was. I was trying to remember there. Um, if you were or not, because I remember you were changing medications at the time. Yeah, I, I, I must have done. I must have been on him here not long when we yeah. did our one. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still on it. Um, so I, I, I'm every two weeks still. Um, Good. Every, Is it working? Yeah, it's done all right. Um, Good. Like I've had to adjust days at like. When I went on holiday earlier in the year, I didn't want to do it. Well, I did it while on holiday, but it, um, one of the times. Um, so I had to take it with me, put it in the fridge at the holiday um, <laughs> place. And yeah, but it, it, it's it's doing well. I'm, I'm still taking like the A to Fireprint and the vitamin D, um, that 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 kind of stuff as well. Good. Um, so, um. Yeah, it's 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 doing all right. Um, so you've been on um your infusions for how many how many years you've been on it, Sarah? Oh, so this one I they tried me on and flex. I was the original medication when I was diagnosed with steroids. They did not work. It was too far gone. Then it was infliximab, which worked for a for a few months. Then I went incredibly allergic to it and was taken off it. Then it was the December 2018, so like a year after I was diagnosed then, I was put on Fidelizumab, and this coming December, insanely, it's I think three years since I'll be, yeah, about three years that I've had me on it now. Oh, yeah, because I, 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 when I was in Fidelizumab, I was only for a year, and I had a reaction at the end, so. Uh, you said a reaction, and I was yeah. like, oh my, I kept giving it to you, even though you were like in anaphylactic shock. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it 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 was it wasn't a friendly reaction, but um, yeah. And then I, I, I was actually advised to go on Humira first, and then I I didn't want to do that. I, I'd rather have started with an infusion. Yeah. After I diagnosed and gone Humira injections. Um, I totally get that. That's whenever I was being moved on to whenever the new infliximab wasn't working, and also I was allergic. They give me the choice. They said I could choose between Vedalizumab, and I'm not even going to try to butcher the name, but it was the injection form of it, oh, and it began yeah. as like Uzumab or so. I don't, I can't even begin to tell you. Um, began with you anyway, and I had the same mentality as you. I went, I am not self injecting at this point. Didn't feel ready for it, so I stuck to the infusions. But now, now years later, my veins are still that bad that I'm like. Should I really maybe swap to injections now just to give them a bit of a break? It worked out because like I'm I, I I'm doing it at home and like I, I've I my my reaction happened just before um the pandemic. So and then I was on Humira and then so it's better, although I go to the hospital sometimes for the occasional blood tests. Um and then yeah, the people realize who i am and even in the mask i still wear my mask in it whenever i go to hospital um and <laughs> and when yeah it, it it worked out well in a way like i chose right to do the infusion first 
Otherwise, if Hamira, something happened to Hamira, I might have to go on the infusions where I had to be hospital-based, which wouldn't have been the best place, especially at the start of the pandemic. Absolutely. At the very start of the pandemic, um, they were so worried because I was on the infusions. They moved all our infusions from the Royal up to some like medical centre in Lisburn. So out where Ryan is, which is a good 20, 25 minute drive away, maybe. And um, they moved them all there because they went, we don't want to use anywhere near the hospital. And it was only like as time started to go on, then they started like bringing us kind of back again. Was it Lagan Valley Hospital that were? Uh, it, it wasn't a hospital. It was, it was like a wee, it was some kind of wee medical center, I think. But it was like, they had, I think, kind of like closed it down and let us kind of take it over, if you know what I mean. But it was weird. It was kind of just like a two-story, almost old house or something. Yeah, I've always been since I'm still very much getting used to the place. I have besides, you know where the leisure plex is? Yes, vaguely. I remember the Lesburn swimmers as a kid. <laughs> right, um, interestingly, our house is right below the flight path of in the... <laughs> Where the Northern Ireland Air Ambulance space, so they we always hear it going over our. Um, so, though it's pretty cool though, when obviously we're also two minutes away from Hillsborough, so when King Char when uh, King Charles came, the security operation, honestly, all I heard all night was just helicopters, and I was like, look, I get he's here, but you know, climb it down, please. I know, trying to scare. Sleep. Um, but. Interesting, you're talking about the medications. Uh, it sort of reminds me of my ADHD medication, first of the unpronounceable names. Mine's methylphenidate. And I remember the doctor said, Can you spell that? And I just went, No. Certainly <laughs> <laughs> <Really> not. <laughs> Trial and error. My first uh, couple of years of those diagnosed with ADHD, because I was only nine at the time, I couldn't, they couldn't really give me the talent of the Soran. How does it feel? I'm just going to be like, Good or bad. You know, it's not very informative. So what my mum would do is my mum would take a small dose of it to um to see what her effects would be on her. And the stuff that were given me were basically effectively like tranquilizers. Um so basically what they done was they basically sedated me. So I was literally sitting there in a complete in a complete sort of trance, you know, not really absorbing anything. This wasn't working for me, but it was basically reducing reducing me basically in the zombie state. And what happened is that Doctor says, okay, Mrs. Henry, we'd like to give your son some stimulants. And I'm going, I'm sorry, what? You want to give a kid with ADHD stimulants? My mom, the doctor goes, yes. And my mom's like, I'm sorry, can you explain this to me? Because I'm lost. He goes, so the stimulants aren't like sugar or sweeteners or like things that you would find in sweets that will give you a sugar rush. The stimulants are targeted at the part of the brain that deals with concentration and regulating sort of uh, concentration, things like that. It will stimulate that part of the brain to raise it up to the level that uh, a so-called normal brain would be. So my mom went, again, still very skeptical of giving my son any sort of stimulants. Yeah. Um, this point, I was about 12, so my mom was like, I'm not, what is going to happen? This is going to be like I've given him six pounds of Red Bull. And so my mom took them. And my mom said that she had the most productive week of her life. So the house... <laughs> Have any of you ever seen the movie Limitless? Yeah, I've heard of it. One is not the one where he takes Bradley Cooper takes the tablets. Yes. So yes. my tablet, yeah, obviously not. They don't have that effect. But it's a case of uh, my brain is it here 
the tablets bring my brain up to here. If say you or Mason took them, you would they're effectively legalized speed. Um so your normal functioning level they would give other people. I always keep my girlfriend, I always wind her up and say, Here, brother, if you want to feel really progressive, have one of these. So I was gonna joke there, Ryan, and be like, I might need one. <laughs> give me some energy. <laughs> well, that, might feel well, like you're in the matrix. <laughs> yeah. I was a lot younger when I was on a smaller dose. My mum admittedly confessed the very, very occasionally. Um, when I was on the trial period taking one when she needed the house clean. You know what? I'm I'm totally on your mummy's wavelength because I was trying to do that earlier and I'm going that would have helped me massively. <laughs> and when she sat down after she finished, she couldn't sit down because she just kept staring around the room looking for things to do. <laughs> yeah. I like with the medication, I, I couldn't cope without it. Like I wouldn't be able to hold my hold my job down. I don't know. Um I do remember though, I had a, a bit of an experience experience uh sarah might remember at the start of uni i used to drink vodka red bulls yes but yeah i remember that we were all loving our and remember in union you could get was it two doubles for a fiver <laughs> can't get that anymore Damn for that. but what happened was that my my brain somehow did not make the connection between the red bull part of vodka red bull so i was getting home and busy sitting on my bed like a fucking hummingbird you know <laughs> late then what happened is that I remember my mom was like, "Man, you're not. You're coming home and you're not asleep. But what the? Does most people come home drunk and fall asleep easily? What the hell is wrong with you?" And I'm like, "So this goes. What are you drinking? It's vodka red bulls. You're not allowed. I'm like, it's vodka." She goes, "What's the second part?" And I went, "Rep." Um, <laughs> I was like, and it turns out actually, uh, when you mix my medication with red bull, it's actually it turns out very very dangerous and can cause cardiac arrest. Oh, um. But after that, I was read the riot act by my doctor and told never again. And of course, then let's say a couple of the ones that we were friends with at uni refused to believe this doctor and kept buying with them to the point that I'm. You know, I'm not surprised. I can imagine that on nights out, them being like, yeah, right, here's a drink, go on. <laughs> Even then, there was occasionally someone would have me one of them, would start to drink it and then go, oh, I can't. You know, but it was like one of those things. Like, I remember the time that I was in the library at Queen's. And everyone, this was the around exam time. And what happened is that, um, again, nameless person. Can I just point out, these people are all good people. They don't sound it in these stories, but they are lovely people. They basically, they offered me a Red Bull. And I thought, well, I'm not this seems to help people. I've never had a Red Bull, really, like on its own before, because I was always, they were obviously banned in my house. So I was like, I can't do too much of a harm. Me being me, I always just drink everything in one go. But... but Oh, this hasn't really having much of an effect. So I got another one. And then the two of them kicked in, right? My vision went blurred because my swivel, or not swivel, but the sort of the bounce from side to side. I couldn't, I, I like couldn't control my hands to the point that I had to go to one of these guys. He's like, here's my phone. Can you ring my dad, please? Because I knew my dad was in Belfast and what didn't work. And I said, can you ring my dad and tell him to come and get me my dad? had to physically strap me into the seatbelt and then do it like twice because I was not able to get in the car. I was that hyperactive. No, that's so... One of those things is that, again, it's like my brain, again, the whole thing is that my brain, it needs an instant, if I have not my medication, it needs an instant response to something. So my thing is like, for example, if I take two painkillers and they don't work within 30 seconds, I'll be like, oh, I haven't taken enough of them. You know, 
even though the, everyone, every rational thought would be no way for them to work. Whereas my thing is, I drank a Red Bull and didn't feel anything within two minutes. I was like, oh, just maybe take a second one. It's it, it, it's the big part of the brain ADHD. It's, it's impulsiveness. For example, I never, ever, ever, ever go to do the grocery shopping without my medication because I will come home. I've been sent to get bread and milk. I will come back with 50 quid's worth of shopping and probably no milk. I'm probably the wrong type of bread. It, <laughs> it, it's dangerous. If you will, it's the same way. No way you always say don't do your shopping when you're hungry because otherwise you just get loads of stuff you're not going to eat. Um, it's the same way as I don't do my shopping on, med- on medicated because it's an absolute disaster. And it's things like that people perhaps don't realize about ADHD. They just always think, oh, what it means is, um, oh, they're a bit hyperactive and they don't have a long attention. Um, but it's things like that and as well. A lot of people with ADHD are very vulnerable to things like substance abuse as a temp- self-medication. And I will be honest, I teetered on the edge of it at uni at times. In terms of again, I think maybe this is partly the autism. I sometimes find the socialising. I find I find it less jarring when I've had a few drinks, let's say, and I didn't make the connection at the time. But basically, I remember I went on one night out sober and I lasted forty five minutes, and then I just from the park. I just actually got I got a train home. It was that early. Um, oh, yeah. I remember after that, and then it was sort of that it opened my eyes up. Like I don't, I still have a, I would still, I would have a drink with my dinner maybe. My girlfriend, she'd have a glass of wine and I'd have a, a cider. You know, there's nothing wrong, but I found that I, I got to the stage I was almost having to rely on alcohol to, to socialise with people. And yeah. it wasn't yeah. crowded environment, the loud music, the people bumping into you, which was the thing that used to wind me up. Not wind me up, but it used to really get to me. And I just found that with the alcohol, it, it, it numbed it slightly. I wasn't, sorry, you know this, I wasn't like falling off, falling over drunk. But it was like a sort of thing that there was a, a, a bit where I'd like to have a couple and then I just found it was more bearable. You know what? I didn't recognize it at the time. I just thought, you know, it's, it's uni, everybody drinks. But then it's sort of, whereas now I now know, is if I'm in the social situation, I'm fine without alcohol content. Indeed, I very rarely actually drink when I'm out now because I tend to drive there and back. I just find then what it means is, is I have my car. If I hit my limit, I can go right, everyone. Good night. You can go yeah no that makes so much sense as well Ryan what you were saying as well like see thinking as well we're like on top of 80 you're sorry your ADHD and then also autism like you were probably in sensory overload when we were on like all A's and half those clubs because they were like hard to deal with that like <laughs> but the best of times god love you I could not see that inside bit I couldn't cope with it oh I it was I remember at times it was all it was so overcrowded. You're on the dance floor, every you, there wasn't you were like sardines. People were just kind of like banging against each other. You couldn't actually dance. Like it was a lot. No, I couldn't do that. See, now I've age, I couldn't go back to do any of that again. I'm just like, nope. Oh, I. For example, my girlfriend, she's she's 24, so she's four years younger than me. You know. Um, so that's the thing is that she's 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 just getting out of that face thankfully. Yeah. That thing is you come back and I always wonder, did I really enjoy it or did I like, force myself to do it because everyone else like what I will say is I wouldn't I had a great time at uni and met some amazing people like such as yourself and I still would talk to them semi regularly. You know, the kids may bump into them in Belfast. But sometimes I wish that I maybe hadn't have forced myself into and I think sometimes I couldn't say no to my legs. I was always afraid that would be I would miss out. 
Yeah, definitely. It was. It was that the whole FOMO, wasn't it? Being like, what if something happens in the night out and I'm not there? But no, I think it's just, I suppose everyone probably has that. It's case you look back and well, that's ten years. Do you know that's ten years ago since we started uni? I know, isn't it mental? It like I could like it's insane. Like, um I was thinking going like we've all know, we've known each other ten years, like how is that how is that possible? I I don't feel that old, but we are that old. <laughs> On my Facebook memories ago, I'm like, is that 10 years ago I was there? And I I know. It's it's wild. Like, um, I keep thinking that. I keep being like, how was it 10 years? It was, yeah, we would have been in first semester of uni this time, 10. I don't even want to say that out loud. I had to stop myself there. I didn't want to finish the sentence. I was like, this time 10 years ago, I was in first semester of uni. (laughs) That was a decade ago. That was a decade. Oh God! I feel a bit. <laughs> I'm like I'm realizing my age, and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Fortunately, we get older every day. <laughs> I know, I know. I birthday there as well, so I'm like already feeling old at 29. Well, I say that, but I'm still feel young. <laughs> Mentally feel young, physically feel about probably 50. <laughs> yeah. Top them right for that. So we're looking at it. It's a really nice place. Um. So you probably know where it is. It's CIYMS. It's up near where like Ashfield School is. The rugby club, is it? Oh, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Um, And then, like, I physical business around the wall. I don't know. What, so this would be a really nice place for your 30th birthday. And I just stared at her, like, excuse me. <laughs> you're like, that is far too soon. 28. Watch it. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. I keep getting the jokes now. You've turned 29, you might as well be 30. And I'm like, oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, like with, with medication, Um, when I had a sigmoid osteopathy last year, um, and I, because when I had my um, colonoscopy when I was uh, getting diagnosed, I had a sedation that time. But with... um. With um, the, I I had gas in air for the the thick monosphere because I wanted to change it around, see what it was different, what it's like, and then uh, like I, it's like the guy next to me is holding the pump, and I I he says you say when you need more gas and air to help you breathe, and <laughs> and then but like for first few minutes I I I kept saying I kept saying to him, I want more, I want more, and it it, it wasn't the reason that I was in any discomfort. Which I was a little bit more towards the end, and a little bit in the middle, and towards the end, it it was more because I I was feeling like I was drunk. Yeah, <laughs> I, I felt like I, I was drunk, and um, I, I liked that feeling. And then he and uh, he and then he realised that I was just doing it for the sake of it, and it and he weren't offering. He he said you can't have any more now. <laughs> oh no! I remember I got the gas and air for um. I had to get a flexible sigmoidoscopy one time and they gave me the gas on air. And um, I remember I was just, I was fully inhaling it, trying to get it as well. And like, get this over. But I think they're on the same and they limited it because I was just like yeah. fully inhaling it. Like, nope, knock me out. Yeah. <laughs> and you do, you feel drunk, don't you? It gives you like a drunk feeling. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good feeling. Um, <laughs> but and then, and then just the guy is saying, no, you can't. And then... And then uh, and then uh, I think when they stopped it, I was I was in I was in more pain because I, I was yeah. uh, um I, 
I was more pain because I wasn't giving any more and that they couldn't do the, I don't think they fully looked around everywhere because I had all that gas there at the start and then I, I felt the pain later on. So yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I find yeah. I'm actually kinda of glad you said that we Mason purely because um whenever you were like, Oh, I didn't find it that sore, I hated my flexible sigmoidoscopy. That I had I've had two. The first one they give me actual like I think a bit of sedation for like through the veins, but um it didn't actually like numb the pain. It was it was they basically refued me. It was afterwards I forgot, but like during it I was awake and it was very painful. <laughs> and then it was the next one they only gave me gas and air, but it was annoying because I was undiagnosed at the time. So I think it was like also because it was all active as well. It was extra painful, and um I remember when they started it being like this is really sore, and then fully inhaling loads to try and like ease it, and then whenever I wasn't like inhaling all the gas and air very quickly the pain came back and I remember being like they need to give me more <laughs> yeah like I don't know if it's dangerous or not just to keep having it like it, <laughs> um but what happened was is um like maybe from an autism perspective um it it wasn't um you were it, 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 they call it laughing gas don't they so it didn't make me yeah. laugh so I, I, I was a bit confused saying, why am I not laughing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would have been brilliant. You would have given them a laugh. That would have been brilliant. Yeah. yeah, but that was my first procedure last year. It would have been like last September after my birthday. So I was looking forward to my birthday. And then knowing after my birthday, I've got, I've got, to, have a, I've got to go down for this procedure at half ten in the morning, go in the gown. Um, happy days. But but that was the first time since my Kono lost a pee um in in 2017 but the strange thing is when i speak to different people from america on here they say they have like they're, they're asleep for um like their like procedure like i kind of lost me for example and, and like so, so some agree like they say uh um or, or, or i say uh it's, it's only like 15 or so minutes even less and i don't know why in america that they are asleep and in the uk we're not because realistically it's not enough time really to be asleep unless yeah. unless you're really i guess severe and you can't stay still maybe that may be a case that, like that but even so they could just put lots of sedation in you like you in america i think it is you can choose obviously but you have to pay and i think most people tend to say you know what if you're gonna stick that up there i would rather be asleep and pay for the privilege <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> right do you know you huh? oh sorry Probably. Um, what do you call it? I'm just remembering as well from you saying that whenever I was in hospital back in like 2018 my IBD nurse when they were trying to get when I was admitted the infliximab set up she was like have you read anything like online about getting this and I was like no not yet why and she was saying apparently in America you know they were saying they knock you out for like everything there apparently during even like your infusions they knock you out for that and what? she was yeah, 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 yeah. And she was like, to meet now, Sarah, we don't knock you out for this. Like, this is for some reason, Americans think it's okay to like knock people out for an infusion, but we don't do that here. You don't need to be knocked out. And I was like, I wouldn't even want to be knocked out. I'd want to make sure, you know, like you're not okay or taking some major reaction during it, if you know what I mean. Unless I'm having surgery, yeah, I, I want to be knocked yeah, out. <laughs> exactly. Knocked out for that, but the rest, as long as you're. For all the medical procedures, heavy sedation I'm okay with, but 
if they wanted really wanted to knock me out i'd allow them to but the heavy as long as it's some sedation i'm okay <laughs> but um yeah. yeah for an infusion i'd rather be awake and get like you're done in like a few hours and you're out again like you'd rather not waste your day you know what the, i mean the good thing about the gas and air to the sedation is after you've had you, you've done your procedure you can go but with yeah. the sedation you have to stay like an extra half hour yeah which is, is why i actually i decided to change because i don't want to wait um I, I don't know why enough for 30 minutes. I, I want to go. Exactly. You want to go home, don't you? That's the one, that's the one thing. Uh, living with a midwife, I've learned a lot of things. Um, uh, mainly about how childbirth is very, very complicated. And also, my astonishing ignorance about what midwives do is that I remember I picked her up from work one night. She said, oh, I, I delivered a baby for the first time in two weeks. And I was like, you're a midwife? Your job not to deliver babies. <laughs> oh yeah, I know what you mean. I was I was given a proper education that evening. Um, <laughs> so, midwife, a social worker, a a best friend, a you know, shoulder to cry on. Sometimes just there to give you a pick up the backside. You know, as you name it, just delivering the babies is one tiny part of her job. And it was like my astonishment what it was. Yeah, I heard as well for midwife midwifery um it's like a level above a nurse as well you have to do like extra qualifications and stuff to get it I only learned that in the summer there and was like okay that makes sense because someone was telling me their mum was a midwife but if you called her a nurse she used to go it's a midwife actually <laughs> yeah yeah don't do that <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's, it's an old term of a name really a midwife isn't it um like like if you, you see like um Downton Abbey or something that they, they they use that term quite a lot in and Downton Abbey like a midwife and stuff like that, but yeah, it's 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 interesting I guess to to learn. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's actually um there's actually a documentary coming out about the midwives in the Royal January on Channel Five or Channel Four. Cover my girlfriend's in it as am I for a few scenes, unfortunately. You know so. <laughs> Um, but it should be very good uh, thing because like I said I didn't know a lot about what midwives did it also will highlight the staffing pressures they're under frankly um, and how they're being staffed by upper management maybe yeah. cut back <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool like... sorry just um, what time is it it's half eight so I need to go get my dinner and yeah, we'll 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 finish up. Um, do you guys want to say anything just to finish? Like any last words? Thanks again for having me. Uh, speaking since you got to catch up with Sarah as well, and congratulations on how well this has all been going. I actually, I've sort of been following it. I sometimes actually have it on in the car on my way to work or or on the train. Um, it's always it's always been very interesting. Like I said, for me, I'm still learning about the clones and you see, it was you were talking about the different operations and stuff. I'm I'm here in terms of her. I, I will be honest, I maybe don't understand a lot of them, like infusions and stuff. I think I know I know uh, what they are, but I don't know you know a lot about them, about the medications, but I am sort of learning the difficulties that you can face with the different medications and they some of society's attitudes towards it. Indeed, you know, I first thought IVP was just oh maybe toilet a bit more. I will hold my hands up. That's how ignorant I was of it. You know, but I think it's one of those things you maybe don't realize what it is until you're sort of forced to learn about it. Yeah, yeah, that that, that yeah, it, it, it's less you have maybe 
a loved one or like um, a family member or, or you have it yourself, I guess, where you kind of really want to talk about it and, and learn about it. So it's good that you're you're doing really good things, Ryan, with your like autism, ADHD awareness and, and yeah, having more knowledge about Crohn's or colitis. So yeah, thanks, Ryan. Um, Sarah, um, do you want to say anything? Yes, thank you so much again for having me. And it's been so lovely catching up with you guys again. Can't believe feeling my age now that me and Ryan have realised we've known each other 10 years. But, um, <laughs> no, it's brilliant. But, um, yeah, thank you so, so much for having me, as per usual. It's been lovely. Yeah, it's been really cool. And I, I, know, I know we said before about um, me jumping out of a plane and we spoke about planes earlier. So, um, oh. <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> that was I was like you're so brave I don't think I would ever have the guts to do that that's something I'd never do I will say this yeah. anyone I, ever yeah I, I think I, I would get to the top and go oh I need a toilet <laughs> I'll surf out so it, 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 it was pretty crazy stuff <laughs> yeah. um, I'll do it again though because I, I was so nervous and then I did it and then I got to the floor and I survived and I was really fainted and hungry afterwards <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. I've heard people say it's so scary doing it, but when you're actually doing it, it's like the best experience, but it's just the before is terrifying. Heart won't beat as faster ever again. Yeah, I was thinking that when I don't think I'd be coping, I'd be like, well. Yeah. I'd have strapped myself to the plane and refused to get off. Yeah, that would probably have been me as well. I'm like, no, I'm too scared now. Back down again. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a good experience. Like it, it, I, I, I did it for rare diseases, which I, I've normally did for Crohn's Class UK, but I've done a lot for them. And like rare diseases, is just another charity that I thought I'd do it for. Um, but it, it was really cool, and it's re really good to speak to you guys again um, yeah. and catching up and uh, seeing that you know you've known each other for ten years. So uh, happy anniversary, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Coming up. my goodness. Yeah. Mason, if you're ever in Northern Ireland, sure, I'm sure we could try and get all three of us to meet up and do something. Yeah. I've always been meaning to go to Ireland, so it is on my list. Yeah, absolutely. You have to let us know. We'll get something arranged if you're ever over. Yeah. Well, if you guys are ever over in um, England area, um, let me know. I will. Well, I know I'm over there between Christmas and the year, but it's very busy, but hmm. quite regularly now. Yeah, we'll have to do a meetup at some point. It'd be it'd be really cool. It'd be really it'd cool. Be yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ryan and Sarah. It's been awesome speaking to you. Have a nice thanks. evening and rest of the week. <laughs> Me too. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.